Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of This Week in Marvel. I am Marvel.com Associate Editor Ben Morse, filling in this week for Agent M, who is on special detached assignment in Orlando, Florida. Or actually, I guess since I'm a regular on the show, uh, I'm, I'm just here, and our special guest filling in is... And I am uh, Marvel.com Assistant Editor Mark Strom, a.k.a. Stromy. And, uh, yes, I am joining while Agent M is off gallivanting. Yes, so uh, we are your special This Week in Marvel host this week, so please forgive us. Um, any errors, technical especially, as we are working basically with two tin cans and a shoestring compared to what Agent M usually has. But for those of you turning in for the first time, This Week in Marvel is Marvel.com's official podcast covering all Marvel news and releases, including comics, movies, TV, toys. We do it all here. So we are going to get right to it, and that means starting out with the comics on sale this week, which was January 11th, 2012. Uh, by the time this podcast airs, even though we're recording it before the 11th, it sh- these comics should already be out, so you can hit up your local comic shops, you can get them digitally, we'll tell you all the different ways. But, comics on sale this week. Up first, Amazing Spider-Man, number 677. Now, this is a special issue of Amazing Spider-Man because it is written by Mark Wade. It is actually part one of a two-part crossover with Daredevil. Uh, guest art by Emma Rios. It's part one of Devil in the Details. Uh, it was a very cool issue. Uh, number one, I was really impressed with how Mark seamlessly, you know, he's written Spider-Man in the past, um, was part of the Brain Trust, but it's been Dan Slott's baby for a little while now. Uh, Mark slid right in, seamlessly picked up the ongoing plots of the book, particularly dealing with Peter Parker's love life, uh, really captured the voices that Dan Slott has worked on, and we got a really cool story about Spider-Man, who uh, has recently been dumped by his girlfriend Carly, uh, kind of on the rebound, meeting up with his old flame, Black Cat, getting up to some mischief, uh, making some feeble attempts to hit on her, it doesn't go very well, and... uh, Basically, he ends up on his own. But the next day, he wakes up and finds out that the place where he works, Horizon Labs, was looted by, apparently, other than the Black Cat. Um, He tracks down Daredevil to help him out, basically, in clearing Black Cat's name. And it leads to a very fun team-up where uh, Mark, you know, who's a regular Daredevil writer, gets to write a lot of insight into Daredevil and how Spider-Man views Daredevil. Kind of gives you a whole new perspective on Matt Murdock on the kind of hero he is, how other people view him. I thought it was really neat. Um, And then the black cat adds another element to it. As far as whether or not she actually committed the crime, that's something you're going to have to pick up Daredevil to find out. But first of all, pick up this issue of Amazing Spider-Man to get the first part of the story. And again, the art by Emma Rios is fantastic. Uh, She's just coming off Spider Island Cloak and Dagger from this past summer. She's got a very kind of like, I don't know, I almost described it as whimsical. Is that the right word, Strami? It's very uh, fluid, I'd say. I'd describe it as fluid. That is a much better word. Thank you, Strami. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very fluid style. It's very fun. It's perfect for characters like Spider-Man and Daredevil. And Mark Waite's got a lot of wit. Um, so, you know, if you're enjoying Daredevil, I'd pick this up because I think it's another book you'll really enjoy. Um, and if you're a regular reader of Daredevil, you're going to want to get the, the chapter here. But if you're a fan of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, pick this up, pick up this issue as you would anyways, but hopefully it'll uh, expose you to Daredevil, which is one of the best books we have out right now. Um, Strami, do you have anything on Amazing Spider-Man? 
No. Uh, well, I mean, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Emma Rios's art because of I course, absolutely yeah. love it. And like you say, it's perfect for a character uh, like Spider-Man because so much of Spider-Man is about, you know, his agility, his web slinging, um, all of that. And just her art style and the way she lays out a page and even the way she draws, like, panel borders just lends itself so much to that because I described it as fluid earlier and really her storytelling is 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 perfectly clear and pitch perfect but she also manages to take your standard panel layout and make everything just seamlessly flow together so that as you're reading a page the lines themselves so clearly lead you from you know the top left corner over to the right, back to the left for the next tier of panels, over to the right again. And there's just something just so uh, fantastic about the way in which she directs your eye uh, across the page and even across double-page spreads. Uh, that's just really fantastic. And, and I think really unlike uh, any other artist uh, that I see working out there right now. Stromy, I could not have said it better myself, and in fact, I did not say it better myself. Thank you for putting that into words. That was really, really well described. Amazing Spider-Man, really good issue, uh, really witty, really beautiful. Check that out. Also out this week, the final issue of Avengers 1959, five-issue limited series, written and drawn by Howard Chaikin, uh, exploring the 1950s incarnation of the Avengers with Nick Fury, Namora, Craven, Dominic Fortune, Sabretooth, the Blonde Phantom. Uh, the coolest thing about this issue is basically they come head-to-head with the Nazi supervillains and the mystical uh, ne'er-do-wells they've been tracking over the course of this series. And Chaikin just, I don't know if he, he pulled these characters from old comics I haven't read. I'm assuming he constructed them whole cloth, but like a dozen new crazy Nazi supervillains he comes up with here. Um, and I basically can sum it up by saying one is named Dr. Rangatang. He's a mad scientist who is an orangutan. Like, his experiments have uh, presumably turned him into this. We don't really get backstory on him. He basically just throws out a bunch of uh, names and costumes. Howard Chicken's art is Howard Chicken's art, so it's awesome. Um, but his his feel of writing and art is so perfect for this book because he really makes it feel like it's right out of the 1950s, right down to Nick Fury's speech patterns. The book is a lot of fun, uh, just really gritty, cool stuff with a bizarre assortment of characters who really click. I love the interactions between, like, Sabretooth and Dominic Fortune, Namora and Craven, who are a couple here. Uh, it's very unique. It's like nothing else we're doing right now. So the series is wrapped right now. The collection will be out soon. Definitely give Avengers 1959 a look. Yeah. And uh, also this week we've got Battle Scars, issue number three, uh, from writer Chris Yost, who worked on, uh, wrote the script and worked on the story along with uh, Colin Bunn and Matt Fraction. And uh, beautiful, beautifully drawn by Scott Eaton, as always. Um, and in this, you know, we get to learn... Well, we don't get to really learn much more about Marcus Johnson, but we certainly see him uh, do a lot of awesome things. For instance, I can't really think of many, you know, non-superpowered human beings who would be able to go toe-to-toe with Deadpool and, you know, walk out of it alive. Um, but he's able to, 
And it just really shows that, you know, Marcus Johnson, we've been saying, you know, his character a watch, uh, and you get, you know, some more hints at his backstory, some more hints at just why all these people may be out to get him, but it's done in a way that really just raises the tension of the entire series and uh really helps put you in Johnson's shoes because while we don't really know what's going on, he doesn't either. So uh, there's sort of that identification that's there. And, uh, yeah, really fantastic. Great action sequences, as always, from Chris Yost, uh, who's a master at that. And, yeah, it's a really, really fun, action-packed book. I'm in digging a, it. In a week with a lot of good fights, uh, Marcus Johnson against Deadpool, which is a oddball choice for a great fight because we don't know who Marcus Johnson is, but seriously, it's it's one of the fights that really grabbed my attention. The way Marcus Johnson handles him, I think it's going to make him an instant kind of fan favorite, even though he's beating up Deadpool, who a lot of people like. But it's the way he does it. It's the art. It's the art of how he beats him up. And he's, uh, and he's also smacking down Taskmaster, another fan favorite. It's true. It's so, true. Even, even though he manages to smack down two fan favorites in this book, you still walk out loving him. Oh, Black Panther, The Most Dangerous Man Alive, number 528, also came out this week. Sorry, as I said, we're working out some kinks here. Strami and I are working and I try to keep the voices going back and forth, and I uh, I separated into piles the books he was going to talk about and the books I was going to talk about, and uh, somehow Black Panther was in your pile. But it's my book to talk about. So Black Panther, <laughs> Most Dangerous Man Alive, number 528. Uh, it's the penultimate chapter of the war between the Black Panther and the Kingpin, um, written by David Liss we've been talking about on the podcast uh, since we started. Big fan of his work. He's a novelist who came over to comics. Basically has this very cerebral uh, war going on between Black Panther and Kingpin, two of the Marvel Universe's greatest strategists and kind of uh, puppeteers. This kind of sees a lot of it come to a head as Kingpin is trying to strike out at Wakanda, uh, T'Challa's home country. Um, He's trying to take over the bank there. Black Panther is trying to thwart him. And a lot of their moves against each other in past issues kind of come to a head here. They end up in a one-on-one confrontation. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. But the real joy of this issue, aside from Liss's writing, which I always love, is that it's illustrated by Michael Avon Oming, uh, who's a fantastic artist who does not do a lot of superhero work. And this issue just showed why I would love to see him do some more superhero work. Um, you know, Black Panther is an urban superhero. It's 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 a crime drama, there's stuff set in the jungle, it's a lot of different genres, but Oming handles them all so well. His art is really, you know, on another level. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful stuff. I love the way he draws T'Challa's sister. Uh, she just looks like she can handle anybody, and I really like his take on Luke Cage. Uh, he just has Luke Cage. You know, he, he, he really uses shapes, like primal shapes, to kind of form his figures, and then form it together. Luke Cage is just like this circular mound of muscle uh it just looks the way luke cage should look and given that he is a longtime collaborator with brian michael bendis who loves luke cage i don't know maybe there's a series there just putting it out there but you know this this book alone more great fight scenes like i said a week of great fights black panther versus kingpin is right up at the top and this sets up the finale coming next month and we're going to see how black panther and his allies uh plan to take down the kingpin once and for all, and whether or not they can pull it off. Great book. 
And speaking of Brian Michael Bendis, uh, next book is Brilliant Number 2, which is the uh, creator-owned book from Icon by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Um, if you, you know, these two have worked a lot in the past on Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, Mighty Avengers. They've got Avengers Assemble coming up. Uh, but this is them doing their own book. And basically, you know, the simplest pitch for it is if you remember the movie, uh, 21 from a while back, which is based on the story about the kids at MIT, I believe, who basically figured out the system for how to mathematically cheat the casinos. This is sort of like that. Only if instead of figuring out how to cheat the casinos, these kids figured out how to create superpowers in real life. Um, it's set in a very real world setting, uh, which is, you know, very interesting to see, uh, particularly since Bendis and Bagley, you know, they're so well known for their superhero stuff. It's just really interesting for me to see them tackle a uh, more real-world setting where superpowers really aren't known and, uh, you know, the characters who have superpowers, you know, go out and just rob banks instead of uh, donning a mask and costume and stopping crime. Um, but, yeah, if you're a fan of their work at all, you should definitely check it out um, just uh, to get sort of a, uh, a much different story than you're used to from them, but still uh, just as good. Strami, I like to think that if you got superpowers, you would don a costume, but I also think you would rob banks. I would uh, I would don a costume very much like the Shockers, mm -hmm. and I would use it to rob banks, but then I would keep half the money I robbed for myself and give the other half away to charities. So you'd be like you'd be like Robin Hood, Shockerhood, um, sh Shockerhood, but like Robin Hood, but you know a more selfish Robin Hood, not right. completely altruistic, but that still just, feels kind of guilty. That describes you to a T. A more selfish yeah. Robin Hood who dresses like the Shocker. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think that that should go on your bio at Marvel.com. <laughs> Moving on in Captain America number seven this week. Uh, we had two issues with Captain America a couple weeks ago. I was very excited about it. Agent Emma and I were talking about it. I'm really digging Captain America right now. Ed Brubaker, of course, still writing. Um, really digging into this idea that Steve Rogers is kind of examining uh, himself and has he lived up to the standards placed on him century or decades ago. Um, it was challenged by a new villain named Codename Bravo, who appears in this issue. I'm a big fan of Codename Bravo. Uh, he kind of cameos here, uh, but he's really been messing with Steve Rogers' head. But also messing with Steve Rogers' head is the fact that he's been having these dreams where suddenly he loses his powers and becomes a 98-pound weakling again. Last issue, it actually happened in the real world while he and Hawkeye were fighting the Serpent Squad. Uh, we pick up here with Captain America. He, they've, they've gotten away. He's got his powers back. Um, but the Serpent Squad's out there, and more than that, there's also Mad Bombs out there. If anyone who's read the classic 1970s Jack Kirby Captain America, Mad Bombs are a creation he came up with. They're basically bombs that don't explode. Uh, they just drive everyone around them crazy. Um, when they were first introduced, it was a lot. It was pretty hot-button stuff. It was Captain America and the Falcon dealing with race riots um, that were heightened by the Mad Bomb but really rooted in society. 
you know, there's some echoes of that here. Uh, the Falcon guest star is here as well. Sharon Carter's in there. Hawkeye uh, and Beast both appear as well. And the Serpent Squad's back. And, you know, this issue's kind of setting up the big action to come, but it's all drawn by Alan Davis, one of my all-time favorite artists, who, uh, when you described Emma Rios as fluid earlier, um, I guess Alan Davis would be liquid because he is just smooth <laughs> as silk, baby. I love his figures. I love his action. Uh, when I picture kind of, you know, my ideal of what a superhero comic should look like, Alan Davis is right up there. Does a great job this era, this issue. And uh, we end with a big Serpent Squad versus Captain America SmackDown coming on, and the question of, will Cap keep his powers during the SmackDown? You're going to have to stay tuned to Captain America. Yeah, and also out this week, we've got Carnage USA number two by Zeb Wells and Clayton Crane. And this is, if you like Symbiote, this is your book. Because in this issue, not only do we get the Avengers, some of the Avengers covered in Symbiotes, including uh, Captain America and Thing, uh, being controlled by Carnage. Uh, we also meet... Um, well, I guess not re-meet Hybrid, but we find out what happened to Hybrid and meet a sort of, uh, a, sort of a Navy SEALs type team that is equipped with the different symbiotes that made up Hybrid. And they all have, uh, some very cool powers, including one guy who is able to control a dog. A symbiote dog. The symbiote dog. It's a symbiote dog. It's awesome. Uh, it is very incredible. Clayton Crane's design of it on top of y'all is just horrifying. And I'm staring at it right now and staring into its teeth and open mouth. And I'm going to have nightmares tonight just from that. Um, and also in this issue, there is a very uh, memorable description of how... Uh, Carnage came to invade this town of uh, Doverton, Colorado, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and uh, how he first started infecting that town, uh, and it's rather gruesome and disgusting. Um, yeah, Zeb Wells is also, one sick puppy. Yes, but it's also just perfect for Carnage because, you know, Zeb is just reminding you why Carnage is so disgusting and terrifying and yes. And you know, I never thought I'd be able to say this on an episode of This Week in Marvel Stromy, but stay tuned for more on Hybrid later in this show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, after that, we've got Doc and Dark Wolverine, number 19, from writer Rob Williams and uh, a trio of, of artists, including two names that I will probably uh, mangle in I some think fashion. You're mangle all three. So I'm, I'm probably going to mangle all three. We got Matteo Bufagni, Michelle Bertolorenzi, and Andrea Muti. I think you got them all, man. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, I'm not I, exactly I will... the expert here, but I, that, that sounds right. <laughs> They're all very talented. They are, they are. Um, and uh, this is the final issue in the Pride Comes Before arc, um, which is guest-starring The Runaways. 
Uh, if anybody like me loves the runaways and misses seeing them in action, uh, pick up this book because you definitely get tons of runaway action in addition to all the awesome Doc in action. Uh, he goes up against, um, Ben, I'm forgetting the name of the movie star who's Marcus been... Marcus Rustin? Yes, Marcus. He goes up against Mar- Marcus. It's his final battle in the streets of L.A. Uh, Dokken, the runaways, and Marcus manage to rip up the streets of probably most of Los Angeles in the course of this issue, filled with tons of mayhem. It's essentially a 20-page fight sequence that begins you know, at 60 miles an hour and just goes faster and faster from there. Um, and yeah, it's really, uh, really fantastic and really sets up, uh, a lot of stuff for the coming arc, uh, particularly between, uh, Dokken and the FBI agent, uh, Donna, yes. who has been, uh, sort of tracking him and they have somewhat of a, interesting slash complicated relationship uh, that you get to uh, see a few developments in in this issue, I'd say. Dawkins a very psychological character. He always has been. There's a lot of layers to him uh, as far as good, bad, beyond. And Rob Williams, with his run on the book, has done a great job really getting into his head like never before. Um, He's really made him vulnerable for the first time. Um, And in that, has revealed a lot about Dawkins. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we're coming up on the end of the run, so you know this is a this is a good place to jump on, kind of see what you've been missing, and get it in time for the big finish. Because knowing Robbie's got something huge planned for the uh, the final story. Also out this week, Dark Tower: The Gunslinger, The Way Station, number two, continuing our uh, Dark Tower series based on the works of Stephen King. Uh, this is continuing the adventures of the Gunslinger. Roland DeShane, outside of the Dark Tower series of books. So that's a cool to read if you're a fan of the books or if you've just been reading the comics. Uh, it's written by Robin Firth and Peter David. It's beautifully illustrated by Lawrence Campbell, who does a great job depicting realism and the fantastic kind of side by side, so it's a little creepy. Um, this issue, basically, in the aftermath of his latest adventures, finds Roland in another new world that doesn't seem too far off from our own, and he's on the tale of the Man in Black is Eternal Nemesis, uh, so tune in, see what happens next with Roland. Like I said, if you are a fan of the Dark Tower books, this is a new chapter you've never read. Uh, if you're a fan of the Dark Tower comics, this is also a new chapter you've never read because it just came out <laughs> this week, so enjoy. Deadpool number 49 is the conclusion of the evil Deadpool arc and the prelude to Dead, um, a big story arc celebrating... Deadpool's 50th issue and beyond that we discussed with Daniel Way on Marvel.com this week, a special two-part interview. But this concludes his face-off with Evil Deadpool, who is made up of discarded body parts of Deadpool that have been thrown away and somehow come together into this gruesome, can't even really call it a clone, it's kind of like a patchwork Deadpool that's zipped up and sewn together. He's got a backwards arm for a leg and a leg for an arm and his head's all messed up um he makes deadpool look just gorgeous and sane uh he's really really gotten in deadpool's head the last couple issues he has outwitted him at every turn because he can think like him um which is very difficult to do 
Um, he's got Captain America turned against Deadpool. He's got the NYPD after him. He's got Interpol after him. He's framed him for a bunch of crimes. This is Deadpool's last stand against Evil Deadpool. They do go at it physically, but also Evil Deadpool kind of gets um, under the skin of Deadpool in terms of really undermining a lot of what he's been going through the entire run by Daniel Way, who writes this issue, and uh, Salva Espin uh, illustrates it, but Daniel's whole Deadpool series where he's been kind of searching for his identity and searching for acceptance, uh, Evil Deadpool really throws in his face, I am what people see you as. I am what Captain America sees you as. I am what the public sees you as. They don't like you. They hate you. They're scared of you. They don't trust you. Um, there's a lot of humor in it. You know, the, the cover is Evil Deadpool digging Deadpool's grave while Deadpool's hiding behind the grave. And that kind of sets the tone for the book. But there's actually some pretty serious character stuff um, and it's going to build into what's going on with Deadpool next month and beyond in the Dead story arc as Deadpool is going to be seeking a way to die and the why and the how kind of starts coming together in this issue. So, key Deadpool reading moving forward. Also, also out this week, Formic Wars Silent Strike number 2. Uh, this is part of the actual Ender's Game series based on Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, but this is actually a prequel to Ender's Game. This is the story of how the Formics came to Earth, the first war that was fought between Earth and the Formics, setting up the mythology for Ender's Game. Uh, it's written by Aaron Johnston with help from Orson Scott Card, and it's drawn by Giancarlo Caracuzzo. And the thing I dig about this book, I talked a little bit about it last time it came up in the rotation with Agent M, is it's, it's, it's very cool, even if you know nothing about Ender's Game or the Formics or anything like that. It's just a cool sci-fi book. It's just a cool kind of world-building book. But even more than that, this issue kind of mashes up a few different genres. Uh, you've got your science fiction with the fact that the Formics are aliens kind of dealing with the outer space element. You've got kind of horror because the Formics are they're, they're horrible, they're disgusting, but it's also very much a war comic. Uh, it's a lot about soldiers and how they approach this devastating war where these aliens have attacked Earth and they've really They've really uh, taken out and decimated a lot of stuff and how they're going to strike back. So, Formic Wars may not be the first thing you rush to pick up if you're a if you're a Marvel fan. I mean, you may see it as you know one of our third party books, but I'm telling you, if you're a Marvel fan, this has a lot of the elements you dig in your superhero stuff. It's got action, uh, it's got some cool character interaction, and it's also just got some some neat fights and neat technology. So. I recommended it last time to Agent M. I know he is now going back and reading the other Ender's Game stuff, so Formic Wars Silent Strike, give it a shot. And next we have Incredible Hulk number four. And the last time I talked about that book, uh, this book on the podcast, I believe was issue number two, in which I expressed how happy I was that issue two followed through on its promise on its cover of having the Hulk fighting sharks. Yes, I do remember. And you were very excited about that. You were very nervous that it wasn't going to happen. I, I just, there is something about, look, if you put the Hulk fighting a shark on the cover of a book, I want to see the Hulk fighting a shark. Um, and I was very pleased that that, that, that happened. And uh, same with this book. This book, this issue is titled Hulk vs. Banner. And that is precisely what you get, and it is epic, and it is awesome. Uh, it's all from writer Jason Aaron, 
and the artist uh, Wils Protasio. And yeah, basically Hulk uh, and his squad of monster, or, uh, mad scientists, you know, hunter killers go to the sort of Island of Dr. Moreau type setup that Banner has uh, established for himself, and uh, they're looking to take the fight to Banner. And that's exactly what they do. However, along the way, Banner unleashes uh, such amazing things as gamma-irradiated gorillas. Uh, there are gamma-irradiated snakes in here as well, right, Ben? Uh, it's gamma. Ga- gamma. Gamma. This ap- you say yes, episode, yes. I say episode. Right. Um, yes, there are gamma radiated snakes in there on the cover and in the book. Oh, see again, it's delivering on its promises. Ga- gamma rayed snakes on the cover. Um. Anyway, some uh, some strange harpy looking creatures that attack them in the middle of the ocean. Not harpies. These weird, massive, ugly bat things, giant insects. Attacking living giant brains. You've got a huge lion tiger man thing. You've got Banner injecting himself with some gamma radiated green potion stuff and punching the tar out of the Hulk. I don't, you know, I don't know what else I can say to sell you on this book. It's definitely, it seems like, well, not seems like I read the book. Um, it's very much one of those issues that uh, H&M and I will point to as when we really, really enjoy a comic, sometimes the words come more slowly to us because we're basically just trying to throw at you every concept that we liked from every page. And I think that is what has become of young Strami here. He's just been overwhelmed. <laughs> He's been overwhelmed by the sheer awesomeness of uh, Incredible Hulk. Jason Aaron has a really kooky take on Incredible Hulk and, uh, and on the Hulk and on Banner as well. His Banner is creepy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a cool book. Very cool to see Wells Portacio back on art uh, here at Marvel. The Hulk is not a book I've ever seen him on. Um, and so actually, very cool. he drew he drew an issue of Jeff Loeb's Hulk. Did he? That's right. Yes. The Doc Samson. Yeah, the issue. the Leonard Samson one. Off. Yeah, that's true, Strami. You're correct, but you know he didn't really get to draw the Hulk much there. That was that was really Doc Samson. Very true. But you are correct, and uh, I give a point to you on that one. But Jason Aaron's doing some cool stuff with the Hulk. Uh, it's time for you guys to jump on board. If Strami couldn't sell you with his laundry list of gamma-irradiated creatures, then, well, you should give it a shot anyways, just to, uh, just to prove Strami wrong somehow. Uh, Journey into Mystery, one of our favorite books here on This Week in Marvel. Uh, number 633 came out this week, written by our good buddy Kieran Gillen. Drawn by Richard Elson, it's part one of the terrorism myth. Uh, really continuing to pick up the pieces of fear itself. Um, in this issue, we are introduced to a very cool concept: is that there's kind of a pantheon of fear gods um, or fear deities um, from some that we know, like Despair and uh, Nox, an obscure character who I believe existed before. Some of these characters, you know, they could very well be characters Kieran plucked from obscurity, but they're new to me. Um, the straw man is like this weird scarecrow creature, um, who enjoys the, the fear of the sublime, uh, which is, it's basically the fear of being, being, I I think Kieran can correct me on this if he listens to this, um, 
basically, as, as he says, the wonderful fear of being before the infinite. So kind of the fear of, oh my god, there's this bigger universe out there. He's just one of these crazy creatures that Kieran introduces. We see uh, mm. the Dweller, who I believe is Despair's dad, who's a like Cthulhu monster. Uh, the Lurking Unknown, who's this tiny little creature who only gets bigger if people are scared of him. Uh, Kak Laku, who's a giant snake. And Nightmare is not there. He's an empty seat. But basically we have the Fear Lords discussing uh, the fallout from the Serpent's campaign on Earth. I know this is going to come to mean more uh, as the story arc goes on. But we also see Loki, um, again, trying to fit in in Asgardia, uh, which is the former Asgard. It's now called Asgardia. Um, as they rebuild, people don't really like Kid Loki. I love Kid Loki. Um, but Kid Loki and his friend Leia, not really his friend. She doesn't like him either. No one likes Kid Loki. Um, but, you know, that's part of his charm, is that he's just this poor, <laughs> poor little kid trying to live down the reputation of a horrible god of mischief. Um, you know, he's kind of taking the pulse of what's going on in Asgardia following the Serpent's fall, uh, feeling some guilt over what happened to his brother, uh, even though he's not fully aware of it. And on the other side of the world, another one of my favorite characters, Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan himself, uh, comes on stage in the midst of an exorcism, which he does not get to in time, but we don't know fully what's going on, but basically... Son of Satan alludes that there's something bigger going on. There are demons out there. I believe it ties, in my theory, I don't know, I, I think it's all tied together. The fear lords, uh, the possessions, the serpent, everything. One of the things Kiron does so well is sets up this bigger mystery, this bigger play, and the strings are going to come together in later issues. Um, but at the end of this issue, we see Son of Satan and Kid Loki. Again, two of my favorite characters come together on the last page not in a friendly way, and setting up a lot of potential for the rest of this arc. The terrorism myth, and then as a bonus, you get a letters page written by Kieran Gillen, at his most insecure, um, answering letters, um, being very self-doubting of himself. He's a wonderful man. He should not he should not feel bad, but he's very, very humorous in his responses, and uh, editor John Denning gives him a hard time. So, great story, great art, great letters page. And uh, just adding on to that, uh, in a strami moment of pretension, the uh, straw man would be uh, based on Edmund Burke's uh, treatise on the sublime and beautiful, uh, which is sort of his uh, uh, document sort of describing the sublime as being this thing that is so absolutely beautiful that you can't help but be terrified on and was a huge influence on... Uh, the romantic artists, poets, and novelists. So there you go, guys. Strami went to college. Everybody give him a round of applause. I have an English degree. Yes, you do have an English degree. Thanks and for, moving thanks on for from reminding there. us. Please move on. <laughs> uh, moving on, move on to a uh, slightly less pretentious note, Magneto, Not a Hero, number three, by Scotty Young and Clay Mann. As someone who still uh, looks back at Joe Kelly and Steven Siegel's run on X-Men, an Uncanny X-Men, as one of the... Uh, it was really my entry point into the X-Men. Before that, I had sort of read it off and on. I liked it, but it was really that run that sold me. And Joseph, 
the clone of Magneto who returns in Magneto Not a Hero uh, was a key part of that run. So it warms my heart to see him back alive and kicking, even if, you know, that alive and kicking involves some murder and, you know, doing bad, bad things. But this can, uh, continues the battle between Magneto and Joseph. Magneto, uh, Joseph has framed Magneto for some crimes. Magneto is, uh, trucking him down. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic art, fantastic writing, uh, from Scotty Young, who I think most people know as an artist. Uh, he draw, he draws the beautiful, beautiful, uh, Oz books, uh, that we publish. Um, but he's also a very skilled writer and, um, gets to show that in this series. And, uh, I mean, just the cover alone I wanted to comment on because the cover is simply, uh, a boot heel that looks like Magneto's boot heel squashing Magneto's helmet. And even though there are no, like, actual figures or anything on it, I still just love that cover. It popped out to me hugely um, when I was looking through, you know, all the covers to this week. Uh, so props to Clayman. It's, act- uh, it's for- actually funny you should bring that up, Stromy, because... Um when we first started talking about Magneto Not a Hero on the podcast, uh, in the first issue, there was a shot of just Magneto's boot. And H&M and I were going on and on about how well Clayman drew that boot. And then we saw in the preview for this issue that the cover was just a boot. And we got so excited because we were like, nobody draws boots like Clayman. <laughs> and I'm like, if I'm ever going to hang a poster on my wall of just a boot, it will be this cover. It will be drawn by Clay Mann. Uh, he is really, really good. Uh, not just at drawing boots, but, man, he can draw a mean boot. <laughs> oh, yes. And a mean, uh, and a mean Magneto, too. Yes. That's, that's absolutely true. Uh, in Marvel Adventures Superheroes number 22, um, it's actually a reprint of an old Marvel Age, uh, Fantastic Four issue. Uh, but it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's a great one, uh, with Steve Niles and Leonard Kirk. Uh, it's Fantastic Four against the Hulk. Um, you know, we, we've said this over and over again, but it bears repeating every time. Marvel Adventures books are really great, not only to give to your, you know, young relatives, young friends, uh, to kids of all ages that are appropriate for everybody, but they're also just great, pure superhero fun. They're fundamentally good stories. This is another great example of that. So, if you see a Marvel Adventures title, you know, at the supermarket, anywhere else, if you're trying to get someone into comics, or if you're just looking for, you know, something to enjoy for yourself, they're really a great read. Consistently great read, too. You're not going to go wrong with Marvel Adventures. And Marvel Adventures Superheroes, number 22, out this week. Also out this week, keeping with our, and I apologize if my voice goes on and off, folks. I'm still recovering from a uh, sinus infection, but I'm hanging in there for you um, and for Strami, who I care about so much. Um, what, what would I ever do without you, sir? Exactly. Um, we are each other's guiding light. Um, also out this week, continue. That was horrible. Also out this week, continuing the theme of uh, fight, 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 is New Avengers number 20 by Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato. It is the New Avengers against the New Dark Avengers, and it is wall-to-wall punching, blasting, kicking. Uh, a great the, – the whole – the issue is titled Go!, in giant letters on the first splash page. 
it's just the new Dark Avengers charging at the new Avengers, just like it's it's like the beginning of the uh, X Men '90s cartoon when they all run at each other and then they exploded. Um, which, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, is very near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's just a great shot, and from there it just goes. Uh, it's Norman Osborn against Luke Cage. It's Scar against Wolverine, and that gets pretty gruesome pretty quickly. It's Spider-Man against Gorgon. Uh, it's Iron Fist against Scar. It's Spider-Man against um, the other the the other Spider-Man Norman Osborn set up. It's Doctor Strange versus the new Scarlet Witch of Norman Osborn's. It just keeps going and going. Trick shot against Daredevil. Gorgon gets involved. I'm basically just giving you a play-by-play. The art in this book is amazing. It's Mike Diodato, and it's really just like... It's like every page is packed with so much action. Um, there's 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 plenty of dialogue. Bendis does a great job on that, but he really balances it with just action, action, action. The Dark Avengers are cool as hell. Uh, Scar is a really neat member. The new Miss Marvel, um, who's superior, is a really cool member. Iron Fist gets some really cool moments in here. Daredevil gets to really step up and kind of, if you're wondering, you know, about Daredevil's inclusion, he just recently joined the new Avengers. This is kind of the issue where he gets to prove himself. And uh, we end the issue with the one Dark Avenger who Norman Osborn held back, kind of showing up when the new Avengers are at their weakest. So the promise of more fighting to come is there. Just a great fight, action, kick, punch, stab, blast issue. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, speaking of all that, Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey, number three, also out this week, by Nancy Butler and Janet Kaylee. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, just showing you all the different stuff that uh, we adapt here at Marvel that we make. You know, we've got a great kick and punching book like New Avengers, and then we've got Northanger Abbey, which is collecting a classic Jane Austen work with awesome, awesome art by Janet Kaylee. Strami. Have you ever uh, read Northern Abbey in your in your English major days? Sadly, I have not. You have not. So you're picking up the comic. You can pick up the comic now, and you can check it out. If you're a fan of some of Jane Austen's better-known works like Emma, and you want to read something else, you know, Northern Abbey is a, is a good opportunity to check that out. And again, I repeat from the last time this book came up, that this is uh, Spider-Man editor Steve Wacker's, like, favorite book that he doesn't work on. Maybe even including the one he works on. He really likes Northern Abbey. Uh, and Steve's a pretty cool guy. So, you know, if you can't trust him, who can you trust? Northern Abbey, number three. And now, onto a book that I know Strami has been itching to talk about. Yes, moving back to the punching, kicking, biting, stabbing, shooting uh, zone is Punisher Max, number 21, uh, by Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon. Um, this is the penultimate issue of the Punisher Max series. Uh, this is a book, I know it's Max, so, you know, clearly, you know, it's not, uh, uh, for everyone. It's very, very, very violent, very graphic. Um, but I do not have enough good things to say about this book. It, uh, it's a really, really fascinating look at the Punisher and the Punisher's history and sort of what drives him that I don't think we've ever seen before. And this issue is essentially a 25, or I'm sorry, 20 page fight sequence between Frank Castle and, uh, the Kingpin, but not the Kingpin as we know him, the Kingpin of the Punisher Max universe. 
Um, and it, it just gets really intense, very bloody. Um, and it ends on a note that I can safely say I cannot remember the last time I was more anxiously anticipating a next issue of a series. Uh, just really good. Pays off a lot of stuff, not only from, uh, Jason Aaron's Punisher Max run, but also a lot of sort of thematic stuff, I guess, that Garth Ennis had set up, even going all the way back to 2000 when he and Steve Dillon did their Welcome Back Frank story. Um, and it's just, yes, a really fantastic story. Yes, and uh, from the Max line back to the normal Marvel Universe, we had a debut issue I was, I've was i been really looking forward to for a while. Did a lot of promotion on this, spoke to the guys involved. Um, our second book this week from Chris Yost, who also worked on Battle Scars and drawn by Ryan Stegman, is the first issue of Scarlet Spider, um, the latest of the Spider-Man books. Uh, kind of a cool bit of nostalgia for 90s kids like me as it stars Kane, who is the infamous, uh, one of the, the kind of the evil spider clone from the 90s clone saga, in a book called Scarlet Spider, which was the original identity of Ben Riley, the original Spider-Man clone. Um, this book follows Kane, uh, who was for years kind of a deformed, crazy villain. Uh, he was he was basically the dark side of Peter Parker, and they do a nice job of recapping his entire history here. So if you haven't read that stuff, you can pick it all up here. Um, it all. His whole career is covered, and it's covered in the course of a few pages really well. But this is Kane after the events of Spider Island. Um, he's been cured of his degenerative clone disease. He's been living with his whole life. He's always had horrible scars. Now he looks fine. He has always been basically on a bad road, but for the first time in his life, he, he really can decide what he wants to do. There's a great line in here where he's shaving and kind of like, he's always had this big bushy beard, this long hair. He's cutting his hair. He's reimagining himself, and he says... For the first time in my life, I'm not dying. Um, and it really, it's kind of a cool little line that sums up the whole issue. Um, Kane initially is passing through Houston, Texas, on his way to Mexico. Uh, he wants to just get out of the country. He wants to go live his own life down in Mexico, basically not be bothered. Doesn't want to deal with superheroes. Doesn't want to deal with any of that. He comes across circumstances in Houston that I'm not going to say require him to be a hero, but basically give him a choice of whether or not he wants to do the right thing. Um, as Chris and Ryan and everyone who's talked about this series have discussed, Scarlet Spider is kind of the story of nature versus nurture. Uh, is Spider-Man, is Peter Parker a hero because he was raised by good people, because he was raised by Aunt May and Uncle Ben because of his circumstances, or is there something inherently good? Uh, Kane has had the worst possible circumstances, so despite being Peter Parker, he's always, you know, been a bad guy. And it's still present here. He's not a nice guy in this issue, but he has always thought he had to act a certain way. The first time he has free will. So this issue is very much about um, him encountering adversity, him encountering people that need his help, and deciding what he's going to do. And it's not wrapped up in this issue. It's going to be an ongoing journey. But you know, there's a few cooler you know questions to explore than this. This is really heavy stuff. You know, this is really heavy stuff of what kind of makes a hero and what do we do with choice. And it's all done really well here. And the art by Ryan Stegman. Ryan Stegman is one of our rising stars, and he is phenomenal. Um, he has a style that is both, I've heard it described as cartoony. Um, I think that's just because it has a lot of energy. 
but it's also very, very real. It's very, uh, it's very much taking, you know, the landscape of Houston, very much taking some horrible stuff that happens in the first issue and giving it gravity, but at the same time, just so energetic, so well, He doesn't even get the costume this issue. I'm really excited for Kane to kind of suit up into the costume, but Ryan does some cool stuff with panels, with, uh, segues, with showing powers. I'm really enthusiastic about Scarlet Spider. I think it's off to a great start. It's only going to get better, and I'm, I'm very pleased for these guys working on it. They're great guys, and uh, they put out a quality product. Yeah, and I'm also, one of the things that I love most about this is the fact that it's set in Houston, and, uh, you know, from hearing Chris talk about it, uh, they're really sort of trying to make Houston uh, sort of its own character in the book and everything, and really, you know, devote themselves to setting it there. And it's just always interesting for me, because so many Marvel books, uh, and we are set in New York, and we associate the Marvel heroes so much with New York. The Avengers are there, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. That's always really fascinating to me to see books um, like uh, Scarlet Spider in Houston or Moon Knight uh, or Doc in, in Los Angeles that explore other parts of uh, the Marvel Universe. Um, and next up, we have Seeker Avengers number 21 by Warren Ellis and Stuart Eminem, which wraps up Warren Ellis's uh, six-issue run uh, and reunites him with his Next Wave collaborator uh, and also Ultimate Fantastic Four collaborator, Stuart Eminem, who is fresh off of uh, a little book you may have maybe heard of called Fear Itself. Um and this issue, you know, if you've read the five issues before this, uh, it's in a very similar vein. It's a done-in-one story. It's, you know, Ellis just drops you in the middle of the action uh, and just takes you from there. Um, it's just so... Every issue of Secret Avengers that Ellis has done has just reminded me what a master of the craft Ellis is and how just technically advanced uh, his his scripts are and and his pacing and the cuts he makes uh his dialogue it's all just so incredible and such a treat to read um this is a huge action blockbuster involving strange otherworldly monsters in cryogenic tanks that are unfrozen and the secret avengers essentially having to save an entire skyscraper full of people uh, and if they fail at that, then uh, these creatures will essentially go out from there and just take over the entire world. Um, really fantastic, fantastic capper to the entire run, um, and just really, uh, uh, you know, good note to end on. And always nice to see Ellis and Eminem working together. From the end of uh, Warren Ellis's run on Secret Avengers, we go to the end of Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, it's Issue number six of The Stand, The Night Has Come. This has been a years-long adaptation of Stephen King's work, The Stand, and it's been really, really interesting to see from the perspective of someone who's never read The Stand, I've never seen the movie. Um, so this is my first time experiencing it. It was a really cool way to experience it. I think it really translated well to the comics medium. Uh, Roberto aguirre Sacasa on writing and Mike Perkins on art with the colors of Laura Martin is brilliant. It's a great job. This is really, you know, if you if if you've been reading the book up until now, this is this is the big finish. Um, 
even though a lot of the action's already gone down, you get to see where a lot of the characters you've been following all these issues end up. Um, you get to see the final consequences of a lot of decisions that were made. You get to see kind of a cool epilogue that, uh, well, I can't really set up anything because the book's over, but it kind of is a neat portent of, hmm, how much was really accomplished over the course of this, this huge story. So um, it's not a good starting point because it's the final <laughs> issue <laughs> of a book that's been running for a few years now. But if you check it out and like the art and like the writing, I think you will. I would recommend going all the way back to the beginning, getting the uh, the full stand experience. But it's been really it's been really cool, and, you know. Thanks to all the writers, artists, editors, everyone who has worked on this book. It's been really really neat kind of treat. Yeah, I uh, I have to admit I have not read any of uh, our stand adaptation yet because I was actually waiting for it all to finish. Uh, so now I'm very excited because now I can go and sort of just read through the entire thing. Um, and I, much like you, have never read any of the stand before. I uh, have not read the novel, have not seen the TV main series. Uh, so I'm just really excited to be able to go back and uh, read the whole thing now. Um, we also have, uh, jumping back into, well, not back into the Marvel Universe, but rather into the Ultimate Universe, we have Ultimate Comics X-Men number six from Nick Spencer, uh, who writes and artists, uh, Paco Medina and Carlo Barbary. Yes, Carlo uh, Barbary. Well done, Stromy. I, I do my best. I was trying to see how you could do there. <laughs> uh, this picks up at the end of last issue, it seemed as if Rogue had betrayed the X-Men uh, to William Stryker. Um, and uh, this picks up from there. We find out that that may not have been uh, all that seems. But in the meantime, uh, the X-Men have to deal with a horde of uh, Nimrod Sentinels that William Stryker, with his dying breath, took possession of and has now programmed to go out and hunt every living mutant uh, in the United States. Um, so, you know, this issue just really drops you in. The stakes are already big, and they keep on getting raised. And it ends on a, uh, a cliffhanger that I certainly did not expect, um, and I am very curious to see where Nick Spencer uh, is going with this. Um, definitely left me wanting more. Uh, I can't wait to see the next issue, um, just because, uh, uh, yeah, I want to know how the person who shows up at the end is there. Yeah, me too, man. It's a very good cliffhanger. I'm very curious to see what what goes as we're we're moving into the kind of second chapter of Ultimate Comics X Men. Continuing Jason Aaron's run, he had a lot of books out this week. This is the I know third Jason Aaron book we're talking about. Um, is he's he's like he's like the new Brian Bendis. Yeah, yeah. In terms with, of uh, with facial hair. Well, yeah, with 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 facial Huge, hair, with awesome massive facial hair, massive beard. Yeah. But uh, the oversized Wolverine number 300, uh, which is actually the beginning of Jason's last arc on Wolverine, um, it's called Back in Japan. It's the first part of Wolverine's return to Japan. He hasn't been there in a couple of years. Uh, it's drawn by a trio of artists who kind of go round robin on it, which is really neat. Uh, Adam Curit, Ron Garney, and Stephen Sanders all take turns at various short chapters depicting this setup for this bigger story in Japan. Um, basically, Wolverine's going back to Japan because someone is trying to kick off a war 
between the hand and the Yakuza. Um, a lot of people close to him has been targeted. Japan is very close to Wolverine's heart and his history. Had so many classic stories set there. Basically, Wolverine comes back to Japan. Uh, what I love is that in the very first chapter, within the very first two pages, he's just on a flight to Japan. Uh, he left a Gone to Japan sign on his door at the Jean Grey School that Kitty Pride reads. She's just like, great. And uh, Wolverine's on a plane, and settling back, you notice the rest of the plane is filled with guys in business suits who all look very similar. Uh, they kind of take off. They all take their swords out, and you realize, okay, Wolverine is on a plane full of ninjas. Um, it's a plane full of Yakuza assassins. And I won't spoil what happens from there, but it takes basically two pages um, of beautiful Adam Kubert drawn art for Wolverine to take care of that, end up in Japan. Uh, he reunites with Yukio, who's a classic character from the Chris Claremont, Frank Miller Wolverine miniseries. Uh, they are almost immediately ambushed by the hand. Uh, they have to deal with them. So a lot of awesome fights here. That one's drawn by Ron Garney. Um, we're introduced to a new silver samurai, the son of the original, who uh, died back in Jason Aaron's first arc on the current Wolverine series. And this new silver samurai is a teenage kid who has hooked up with Wolverine's foster daughter, Amiko, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun, I'm sure, for the two of them once Wolverine finds out. Uh, but the new Silver Samurai is really cool, whereas the old Silver Samurai was very, you know, old school, feudal, based in the ancient samurai ways. This guy is tech. He's uh, new school. He wants to do crazy stuff, pull off crazy crimes. Um, all this is going on. The tensions between the hand and the Yakuza are building. We find out that Sabretooth is back. Uh, we got a hint of it last issue and in Wolverine and the X-Men, but we get a full-on reunion, as it were, between Sabretooth and Wolverine. They fight. Their fight. Uh, it, it's awesome. It's like the Roadrunner fighting Wiley Coyote, um, <laughs> except they both have claws and they can both fight because they just damage the crap out of each other. And... Um, it just goes on for pages and pages. They basically, they, they introduce another character who's the, the new head of the hand in Japan who's um, kind of frustrated with the old ways. He actually says in this issue, you know, basically we can throw 10 ninjas with swords at you or 20 ninjas with swords with you. We kind of come up with a new way. Um, he's reinventing the hand. He's challenging the Yakuza. Um, and he is having a meeting with the Yakuza that Wolverine and Sabretooth basically tumble into as they're fighting. They're like they're like a dust cloud of claws and hair, and they just kind of roll in there. Um, Silver Samurai is converging on there as well. There's another character who is a surprise, who I won't spoil, but this is really pulling together all the threads of Jason Aaron's Wolverine, but also bringing in a lot of cool Wolverine mythos stuff. The action on a week where fights were king... This may be the best of them all. The Sabretooth Wolverine showdown as well as Wolverine versus Ninjas, Wolverine versus The Hand, everything that's going down there. Um, it's a really great issue, packed with great art, packed with great writing, everything you like about classic Wolverine stories, and a ton of pages really get your bang for your buck. I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah, and uh, you know it's funny you say uh, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner because Sabretooth even refers to uh, Wolverine as being uh, wily coyoted at one point <laughs> I mean, when what's good when he has managed to take him out. Um, but yeah, it is an incredible issue. Uh, you know what what really you know sells it for me is all the great R's uh, backing up Jason Aaron's great script. 
which includes line of lines of dialogue such as Sky Yakuza Go. Yes. Um a lot of great which, dialogue in here. Yeah. <laughs> there are which Sky Yakuza and they do go. They they are they are Sky Yakuza. Uh, I also love uh Kubert's redesign of Sabretooth's costume. Yep. Which really harkens back to, you know, sort of his classic costume. Um, but still redefines it, brings it into the 21st century, gives a new spin on it, uh, uh, but, you know, definitely leaves enough for old school fans to really, really dig it. Um, and you know, one of, one of my, uh, favorite things about this issue, uh, and actually the sequence that made it my, uh, twim of the week, uh, if we are still calling it the, this week in Marvel of the week, yeah, um, Go ahead. The, um, is actually a, uh, uh, like four page sequence maybe, uh, between the new head of the hand that Ben mentioned and basically a hand sleeper agent who oh, has been it's so in, brutal. uh, it's, it, it's this hand sleeper agent who has been hiding in the hills of Japan for the past 50 years and it's just, it's, Four, three. I don't even think it's. I'm looking at it now. It's three pages long. It's just you know, Aaron's script uh, met with Stephen Sanders' art is just. Um, it's an incredible sequence. I really can't say anything more about it than that uh, without giving it away. But basically, the new head uh, needs to activate the sleeper agent, and in doing so. Uh, uh, I really can't say anything yeah, more really about without giving it away. Other than but you've got to pick it up to see what happens. You've got to pick it up. It's an incredible three-page sequence that Wolverine isn't even in, but which definitely just sells this entire book for me and just makes it all. Um, and also, uh, uh, as a bonus, yes. you also have a new story from Jeff Loeb and uh, Simone Bianchi uh, that sets up uh the return of Sabretooth. Um it is set uh some months ago, uh according to the caption, and it is um the story of how uh Sabretooth comes back. Um but yeah Jeff and uh Simone will be doing that story um in soon, near, I believe. In the near future. Yes, um and you get a little taste of it here. Uh, and if you're a fan of Cloak and Dagger, uh, Cloak is also a major component in this story. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's got gorgeous art, um, and follows up on their evolution story arc from, uh, from Wolverine number 50 to 55, uh, several years ago. So. And as a bonus bonus, you get a full gallery of every cover from Wolverine, dating back to, uh, Wolverine number one in 1988. Uh, you get Adam Kubert's designs of Sabretooth and the new costume you were mentioning. And maybe coolest for me is you get Steven Sanders designing the new Silver Samurai, but you actually get to see the sequences he went through with assistant editor Sebastian Gurner, who uh, is an expert on Japanese culture. Um, he's, he just knows his history, knows all about that stuff. It's basically them going back and forth refining the Silver Samurai's costume to make it both accurate, functional, to make it look cool, 
and it's kind of a glimpse into, you know, how costumes come together. It's not just an artist sitting down, throwing a sketch, okay, this is where we're going to use it. It's editors giving tweaks, uh, artists going back to the drawing board, literally. Um, and this is a really cool behind-the-scenes look. There's just so much in this book. Um, yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Um, and on the total, well, not total, but on a on a far point in the spectrum of Jason Aaron's Wolverine. Wolverine the X-Men number four. Um, it's what we call a downtime issue. After the first three issues of uh, battling the Hellfire Club and giant monsters. Uh, this one has art by Nick Bradshaw, and it's basically kind of the first real day of school at the Jean Grey School. Uh, getting to know the cast of students and teachers a little better. Uh, we have Kitty Pride um, teaching Future History 101 um, with special guest lecturer Deathlock which I love because he's a cyborg from the future. Um, and he is trying to teach a class on the future and doing so basically um, starts telling the kids about all this terrible stuff that's going to happen in the future. And Kitty Pride starts saying, oh, well, you know, that's just a potential future timeline. And then Deathlock starts giving stats on different terrible things that are going to happen to not only just the world in general, but each individual student. He's like, here's the probability of this. Here's the probability you're going to kill us all. And Kitty Pryde just kind of asked so much. It, it, it shows that Jason Aaron can do, you know, the very savage and brutal Wolverine stuff he does in the solo title. And then this is, you know, it's not comedy, but there are comedic elements to it. It also, you know, gets, get like I said, we get to know the students a little more. We get to new, meet two new students who, if you read Uncanny X-Force, you knew they were coming. Um, Angel, who is Warren Worthington, but who has had his mind completely wiped as a blank slate as a result of uh, the Dark Angel saga. Um, kind of gets reunited with Iceman here, but he now thinks he's an actual angel. Um, and it's actually some pretty... It's kind of heartbreaking stuff uh, if you're a longtime fan of the character, but interested to see where he goes. But then we've also got Genesis, who is um, a clone that Phantom X grew of Apocalypse. And he's just a kid now. He thinks he's going to be a hero, but everyone around him but him knows that, you know, this is a kid version of Apocalypse. He doesn't even know what Apocalypse is. Um, so it's interesting to see all the kids and the teachers kind of dancing around. Oh, my God, how do we deal with this kid who could be a great hero but could also be one of our greatest enemies? Um, Nick Bradshaw's art is great. It's fun. It's detailed. Uh, there's so much to it. There's so many cool Easter eggs. He really depicts everything that's going on. And also, you know, I, I, you know, I just I love... I love books like this that feel like almost like TV shows. They're big cast TV shows. Uh, it, you know, where it's set in a school. You really get to care about the characters. It's not necessarily about the action, it's about the relationships, stuff like that. Um, it's Jason Aaron flexing muscles. You know, I haven't even haven't even seen him flesh before, even though he's doing a really good job with it. And great art, great characters. Can't ask for much more. Also, uh, featuring Wolverine this week. Wolverine's in a lot of places. Wolverine and uh, Jason Aaron seem to be everywhere. Um, maybe that's why Jason Aaron's qualified to write him. But <laughs> Wolverine pops up in X-Factor, number 230. It's the Regenesis issue. It is uh, drawn by Emanuela Lupacino, written, of course, by Peter David, um, issue number 230. And it's, it's tying into Regenesis. It's basically Wolverine dropping by to visit the team who has just lost... Jamie Madrox. Um, they're not really sure what's happened to him. He might be dead. He might not be. Everyone's dealing their own different ways. They've also just learned that uh, Strong Guy no longer has a soul. 
um, because when he died earlier and Layla Miller brought him back to life, he lost his soul. There's a lot of conflicts going on between Shatterstar and Richter, between Monet and Siren, or Siren. Uh, Wolfsbane is stirring the pot. Longshot is just kind of oblivious to it all, which is great. Uh, Pip the troll comes in with a great line where he basically tells Monet to zip her costume up because he's sick of looking at her cleavage. <laughs> um, and Layla Miller, no one's talking to her because they're all pissed at her because they think she screwed up strong guy. And they also think she may be the reason Madrox is gone. Checking quickly on Madrox, but it's really focusing on this cast and Wolverine kind of observing them and being like, guys, you need to pull it together and providing them a way to pull it together. It doesn't come to the last page. And normally I'd be afraid to spoil it, but this has already been everywhere. Um, this is the return of Havoc and Polaris, X-Factor veterans, to the X-Factor team in the X-Factor book. Um, so the last page really has you pretty psyched for the next issue. Another great issue of X-Factor, which is a consistently excellent book. And um, good jumping on point, because it really reestablishes who all the characters are and uh, what's going on with them. So X-Factor number 230. And uh, last but not least this week, we have X-Men Legacy number 260.1, which is writer Christos Gages uh, and artist David Baldion's first issue. Um, Mike Carey, of course, wrote the series for the past uh, six or seven years and just left with this past issue. Now Christos Gage picks up the baton. Um, he's using a lot of the same... Uh, cast that Mike established. Um, it seems like the core cast is going to be, you know, Gambit, Rogue, and Frenzy, who Mike also very much, uh, featured, of course, in the last several years. And it seems like he's adding Rachel Gray, uh, who returned in an earlier X-Men Legacy arc, as well as, uh, the Guthrie siblings, Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, and, uh, Paige Guthrie, aka Husk. And this issue is a uh, really amazing done-in-one, I think, in that, you know, we've seen the school, uh, the Jean Grey Institute established over in Wolverine and the X-Men. We've seen it in other issues, uh, other series. But the premise of this issue is basically that the staff does not want to disrupt the children's school day. So even though the Nagari managed to uh, invade once again, uh, the Nagari, of course, from um, first appeared back in Uncanny X-Men number 96. Uh, they are the evil uh, extra-dimensional race uh, who have a portal into our world situated on the campus, of course. Um, and always it constantly gets broken, no matter how many times they seal it. Yes. It, and I love the fact uh, that you were just so casually like, who, of course, appeared in Uncanny X-Men number 96, because that's, you know, common knowledge, just like that straw man stuff from earlier. Ed, Edmund Burke in Uncanny X-Men number 96. That's why you guys keep me around. Yep. Um, I knew there was a reason. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's very fantastic because you basically get to see all of these uh, staff, all of these faculty members, um, sort of going out of their way to uh, maintain the school day going. You know, at one point, um, I think Cannonball even gets yelled at uh, by Rogue for not being in class teaching and out there helping fight the evil Nagari uh, invasion instead. Um, 
Yeah, it's just a really, really fascinating dynamic. And uh, uh, it's the first time, apart from Wolverine and the X-Men number four, which is also out this week, that you get to really get a feel for, like, what the kids' average day at school is like. Uh, and it's it's very interesting to see. And at the side of the X-Men, you know, given their status quo since House of M, which is very much on survival, the fact that there are only 198 of them left, uh, uh, it's very interesting to see, and it also sort of adds um, credibility to Wolverine's argument uh, uh, in his schism with Cyclops. Yeah, and, X-Men, uh, X-Men Legacy is very much going to be the... If in Wolverine the X-Men you get to see kind of the students' side of the Jean Grey school, X-Men Legacy is kind of the faculty book. Um, Astonishing X-Men will be as well. That's going to be more kind of an adventure book as well, but X-Men Legacy yeah. is really where you get to see... Team Wolverine, as far as the faculty, what they're up to, um, how they're helping the school run. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of a very robust this week in uh, comics. So we, we ended up taking a lot of a lot of time talking about those. So we're get, we're going to breeze through a bit of the uh, housekeeping details of the podcast, kind of get you guys caught up on what else came out in terms of collections and digital comics, so we can get to your questions. Um, so up first. I want to talk about the collections that are on sale this week. As always, these come to us courtesy of Max Beckman, our friend on Twitter. Um, so out this week in stores, as far as collections, you've got a hardcover collection of Alpha Flight by Greg Pollock and Fred and Lente, collecting the first six issues of the Alpha Flight miniseries currently coming out. We also have Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis, Volume 2, which collects the uh, most recent Avengers series. Dark Tower Gunslinger, The Battle of Tull, is out in hardcover. Essential Marvel 2-in-1, Volume 4, giant collection of thin team-ups from the olden days, loved by our uh, our boss, John Cerulli. Uh, <laughs> Fear Itself Avengers and Fear Itself Ghost Rider are out in hardcover. Uh, the Avengers volume collects both the Avengers and New Avengers tie-ins from Fear Itself. Ghost Rider collects Ghost Rider. Um, there's the Ghost Rider by Daniel Way Ultimate Collection, with all of Daniel Way's run on last Ghost Rider series. And there is also Ghost Rider Official Index to the Marvel Universe. So if you're looking for Ghost Rider this week, a uh, lot to offer in collected editions. We have the fourth volume of Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel. It's a hardcover collection of classic Captain Marvel stories. Mystic Tenth Apprentice, which was one of my kind of sleeper favorite books this year. Uh, cross-gen book about two young girls growing up in a magical realm, uh, kind of learning learning uh, about their class, learning about what it takes to be a sorcerer. Um, I've described it kind of as Harry Potter meets Hunger Games, which sounds very PR, but if you read it, I think you'll agree with me. Um, That's out collected this week. Spider-Man, the complete Ben Riley epic, book three, collecting the clone saga from the 90s, which introduced Kane, who we spoke about earlier when we were talking about Scarlet Spider. That's out this week. Spider-Man Spider Island is out in hardcover. That was an awesome storyline from this past summer. Um, you can also get the entire series of Wolverine Best There Is, um, a brutal, beautiful, violent, creepy book that we all love. Uh, the first arc, Contagion, is out in softcover this week. The second arc, Broken Quarantine, is out in hardcover. And finally, we have X-Men by Claremont and Lee, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, Omnibus, Volume 2, hardcover. Strami, why don't you let everyone know what digital comics are available on the Marvel Comics app app, app 
uh, day and date this week. So these are books that are out in print and also on the Marvel Comics app the same day. Yes. So for day and date digital comics for January 11th, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 677, Battle Scars number 3, Captain America number 7, Carnage USA number 2, Dokken Dark Wolverine number 19, Deadpool number 49, Formic Wars Silent Strike number 2, Incredible Hulk number 4, Journey into Mystery number 633, uh, Scarlet Spider number one, Ultimate Comics X-Men number six, Wolverine and the X-Men number four, Wolverine 300, X-Factor 230, and X-Men Legacy number 260.1. In addition to those comics, we also have some older and recently released comics out on the app this week. That includes all five issues of Astonishing X-Men Xenogenesis. Pray I'm pronouncing that correct. I'm pretty sure it's Xenogenesis. It looks like it should be Xenogenesis. Thank you, Strami. Uh, we have issues 41 through 50 of the 1998 Daredevil series, so that's Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Uh, we have New X-Men, Grant Morrison's run, um, issues number 151 through 154, although I believe that may be the issues that came out after Morrison left. No, uh, 151 through 154 were the uh, Here Comes Tomorrow. Oh, Here Comes Tomorrow, that was Here Comes Tomorrow? Okay. Yes. I wasn't sure if he left at 150 or not. Nope. Glad glad to have you along, resident new X-Men expert. Um, So that is the Mark Silvestri illustrated final arc of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. Pretty epic stuff. Uh, Nova, the most recent series, number 19 through 22. And then we have the full collection of Ultimate Comics Avengers. Um, and then we also have some collections that are being released this week on the app on uh, January 12th. Strami, if you will. Yes, we have uh, Daredevil, Guardian Devil, uh, which has the first eight issues written by Kevin Smith, drawn by Joe Quesada of the Marvel Knights Daredevil series. Deadpool Volume 3, X Marks the Spot, which uh, collects issues 13 through 18 of the newest Deadpool series by... Uh, Daniel Way, Ghost Rider Volume 1, Vicious Cycle, which I believe collects the first five issues of Daniel Way's Ghost Rider run, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 5, Public Scrutiny, which would collect issues 28 through 32 of Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley's Ultimate Spider-Man run, and also features one of the most devastating deaths aside from you know, Uncle Ben and uh, Peter Parker in the Ultimate Spider-Man series. Uh, Invincible Iron Man Volume 4, Stark Disassembled, uh, which has the Stark Disassembled story arc by Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca. And Wolverine Logan, which is the three-issue Marvel Knights limited series written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by one of my favorite comic artists of all time, Eduardo Riso. And the Marvel Comics app is not the only way you can get your digital comics. Uh, you can also go to marvel.com and head over to Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. And here's what we have new available for you guys this week there. We have issues 657, 659, 660, and 661 of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we have the most recent Spider-Girl series, issue number three. That all came out on Monday. On Tuesday, we had Captain America Corps number one, which is a recent miniseries, very underrated. Check it out. We had a uh, 
I was going to say trifecta, but there's four of them. A quad, a quadfecta. <laughs> a quadfecta of recent Ultimates books. Uh, we had Ultimate. I'm fairly certain that's not a word. Uh, it actually is a trifecta. I misread. <laughs> so it is a trifecta. Uh, quadfecta, quadfecta is absolutely a word. But getting back to the topic at hand, a trifecta of Ultimate Comics Avengers versus New Ultimates number two, Ultimate Comics Captain America number two, and Ultimate Comics New Ultimates number five. And then finally on Tuesday, we had Widowmaker number four. Uh, at Wednesday, we had X-23 number 10 from the ongoing series, X-Factor number 216, X-Men number 12 from the current series, X-Men Legacy number 245, and X-Men to Serve and Protect number four. Today, if this podcast goes up on time, uh, we will have Heroes for Hire number eight in the most recent series, Iron Man Thor number four, concluding that limited series, Venom Deadpool What If, number one, and Warriors 3, number three and four from their recent limited series. And then tomorrow, to wrap up the week, we have issues 29 and 30 of Hulk, the uh, current ongoing series, number 627 and number 628 of Incredible Hulks, and then the first issue of the Silver Surfer limited series from this year. And that is it for comics on sale this week, and now we head out west to L.A., to uh, Mark Strom, who's already on the phone, who's going to catch us up on what's new in games, movies, and TV this week. Yeah, uh, so we don't have any uh, new games out this week, though we do have some game news that we'll get to in a bit. But as for what's on TV, we have the premiere of the Blade anime series this Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on G4. Uh, you know, this is the fourth, uh, Marvel anime series, um, after, uh, Wolverine, Iron Man, and X-Men. This one is, of course, Blade doing what he does, hunting down vampires. Uh, the really cool thing about this series is that it's basically Blade on a quest, uh, to find, track down and stop Deacon Frost, um, but that quest takes him throughout most of Asia. And what the writers and uh, directors of the series did is that whatever um, they took him around, they took him to, you know, Japan, to Vietnam, to uh, all these other countries. And all these countries have their own vampire myths. So basically, the vampires that Blade encounters in all of these different countries, are actually based on the local vampire myths. So you get to see um, a lot of different types of vampires, um, a lot of uh, vampires that are very different, you know, from the more European or American myths, uh, you know, whether it be Dracula or Edward Cullen. Um, nice one. And... Uh, <laughs> It, uh, but yeah, it's really fantastic to see, uh, Blade in the, uh, English language version is voiced by Harold Perrinaw, who was, uh, Michael in Lost and, uh, was also, um, in Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. He played, uh, Mercutio, uh, and did a really fantastic performance in that. Uh, he's been in a ton of other stuff too. He's a great actor, um, and also, Turns out he is a pitch perfect uh, voice for vo- or, bleh, voice for Blade. Um, I really enjoy his performance in this. Uh, I think you really dig it. You can go to Marvel.com right now. 
Um, we have currently a preview clip up from the premiere episode along with uh, nine screenshots from it. And we'll be bringing you more stuff uh, by the time this podcast goes up. We will probably also have an Essential Blade article up, giving you sort of the character's history in comics. And we will also have two podcasts up, uh, one with uh, Harold Perina and uh, the other with um, D.B. I can't remember if you pronounce his last name, Blanc or Blank. I think it's Blanc, D.B. Blanc, who voices Deacon Frost. Uh, and does a really great performance with that. Uh, so tune in. Uh, and if you missed it the first time around, uh, the Wolverine series will be re-airing uh, in the 11.30 uh, time slot after Blade, um, beginning this week, beginning with the first episode of Wolverine. And, uh, yeah, that will run sort of parallel to uh, uh, Wolverine for the next, or to Blade for the next 12 weeks. Um, so, yeah. If you missed it, tune in. And uh, that is uh, all for this week on TV. Thank you, Mr. Strom. Sit tight for 30 seconds. We'll get right back to you. Uh, some of the latest Marvel news for the week, right before we get to you guys' questions. Uh, in comics, this is just the latest stuff we have up on Marvel.com. We have sneak peeks at Daredevil number 8 and Winter Soldier number 1. Uh, we also have, we were talking about it last week, um, we posted our top 10 lists for 2011 or 2011 if you prefer uh we gave our personal marvel.com top 10 favorites for team villain and hero uh kind of some surprising and cool picks all around i can say that team went to x-force villain went to archangel of x-force uh so that was kind of cool twist and expect archangel to be the villain of the year um but he was for us and Spider-Man took home Hero of the Year honors. And these are all our personal favorites. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. Um, you know, tweet us with the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Let us know your favorites for 2011 in terms of hero, team, villain. And also go check out our lists. Uh, check out our reasonings. Tell us whether you agree, disagree, want to throw something at us. Uh, Stromy had a lot of input, so there may be stuff you disagree with. And, you know, I encourage you to tweet at him about that. Um, but if you like it, I wrote them. Uh, we <laughs> also did an article last week called Circle of Moore. Uh, <laughs> it's an interview with Tony Moore about Circle of Four. And one of our freelancers, who I know listens to this show, Tim Stevens, uh, usually sends in kind of goofy titles that I change. And so he sent this one in called Circle of Moore. And I didn't change it. Um, I don't know if I was tired that day. I don't know what was wrong with me. But it just worked for some reason, so... Tony Moore talking about Circle of Four, entitled Circle of Moore. But the real treat, aside from uh, Tony's insight, is some really cool behind-the-scenes sketches. Uh, Circle of Four is the upcoming Venom event, starting in February, that guest stars Red Hulk, X-23, and Ghost Rider. Uh, and you get some designs, not only of the characters, but some new characters, um, and mm -hmm. new designs of old characters who will be appearing, some of the setting... A lot of it, it's all taking place in Las Vegas, so very cool stuff there. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we had a two-part Q&A with Daniel Way, talking about Deadpool, um, both his first 50 issues and where he's headed from here, particularly the Dead Arc. Uh, we held a live blog last Friday on AVX Versus, which is going to be the tie-in uh, companion piece to AVX. Um, it's going to be a limited series basically focusing 
entirely on the fights um, from AVX. So if you're thinking, you know, that this this fight only got a page or it only got a panel, I want to see half an issue dedicated to that. This is where you will find it. It's by Top Flight Teams. Uh, we talked about in the first issue alone, you are going to get Iron Man versus um, Magneto by Jason Aaron. And was, who do we announce as the artist on that, Strami? Uh, uh, Adam Kubert. Yeah, Adam Kubert. So, yeah. uh, Jason Aaron and Adam Kubert doing Iron Man versus Magneto, which is pretty cool. And then the backup story is, uh, Stuart Eminen and Catherine Eminen, Catherine on writing, Stuart on art, teaming up to talk about The Thing versus Namor. It's a fight with a lot of history and uh, very interesting. But that's going to run six issues. It's going to be two stories an issue. It's very cool. And you can get more by replaying our AVX versus live blog. Speaking of AVX, we released some AVX round one teaser images. Um, top artists depicting different fights that may or may not go down in AVX. Uh, check those out. I'm not going to tell you who they were here because I want you to visit the site. And then all this week... Uh, we've been running, myself, Strami, our social media coordinator, Jana O'Shea, we've been running Next Big Thing Live blogs, um, covering various topics with various special guests. Um, they've been at 3 p.m. Eastern every day this week, so if you're hearing this, if it's before 3 on Thursday, you can make it to this one. Just go to marvel.com and sign up. If you miss the days, you can definitely be there for Friday. Thus far this week, we're recording this on Tuesday, we already spoke with Rick Remender and Gabriel Hardman about Secret Avengers yesterday, and today, just before we started recording this podcast, uh, we got to talk with Brian Michael Bendis and the legendary Walt Simonson, who's going to be drawing Brian's final arc on Avengers during AVX. Uh, live blogs are a very cool way to get news and interact with your favorite creators, find out stuff that other people aren't going to find out, and of course get to talk to myself and Strami, so it's a real treat. So, tune into those, replay the ones that already went down, and sign up for what's coming up. And Strami, you have some news from uh, the other side of the country? Yeah, we had uh, quite a few things in the last week. Um, we had some awesome new Avengers uh, photos uh, from Marvel's The Avengers, which of course comes out May 4th. Uh, we got three new photos, one of them a very awesome shot of Iron Man sort of flying in between skyscrapers at night. Uh, and then two shots of Thor and Captain America in a uh, in battle. In uh, looks like they're uh, very battle weary. Um, you can see they're staying in a city street. Uh, it's basically been demolished. There's tons of rubble around them. You know what caused all this? We don't know yet. Um, it's very awesome looking though. We also had a slew of new photos from uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movie, which comes out July 3rd of this year. Uh, some new shots of Peter Parker, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, you know, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Um, a uh, one of the first shots, I believe, of Dan Leary as uh, Captain Stacy, which is a bit of uh, casting that I am hugely uh, uh, excited for, um, and. You even got a very close-up look at uh, Spider-Man's web shooters uh, that will be appearing in the movie. Um, next up, we had the announcement of Marvel Universe, which will be a, uh, a Marvel sort of programming block on Disney XD. It kicks off April 1st. 
Um, the exciting news is that uh, this will bring the premiere of the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon um, that we've been developing and we've talked a little bit uh, on the site so far. It's got some great talent behind it. Uh, Paul Dini wrote the pilot. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, is writing for the series. Uh, and it's all being led by the Man of Action crew who are made up of uh, the comics writers and artists, uh, Joe Kelly, who wrote some really amazing, if you'll pardon the pun, Spider-Man stories um, back during the uh, thrice-weekly uh, Brain Trust days. Uh, Joe Casey, Stephen T. Siegel, and Duncan Ralu. Um so yeah, it's got some great talent behind it. Uh, I'm really excited for this series. Um, I've seen a little bit of it. It looks great. So that will be premiering with the Marvel Universe block. Uh, but also, coming back will be the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes for a second season uh, that begins in this Marvel Universe programming block. And we've got, you know, I, I'm so excited for this second season in particular because I know a lot of what is coming up and it's just hugely exciting to me. They've got some really, really great stories um, in these next 26 episodes. And, uh, yeah, I just can't wait uh, f- to be able to talk about it and for you all to see it. Um, on the video game side of things, we had uh, the announcement of Avengers Alliance, uh, which is very cool. It's our first Facebook game. It's a strategy game. We have the announcement trailer up on Marvel.com right now. It's also leading our YouTube page at the moment at YouTube.com backslash Marvel. Um, this is a game that will be on Facebook. Um, and the premise of it is basically that you have to assemble your own squad of Avengers. And now this squad of Avengers doesn't necessarily need to be made up of heroes that you typically think of as Avengers. For instance, uh, characters like the Fantastic Four will also be in it, and you can choose from some of them, uh, you know, characters like uh, Spider-Man, Wolverine, who, you know, I guess now are considered as Avengers, uh, uh, but traditionally in the past, before New Avengers had not been, uh, will also be in it. They'll have a ton of heroes, um, and basically you have to uh, prevent, you know, all these villains from uh, banding together. Uh, uh, and there's sort of this mysterious cataclysmic event going on in the background. Uh, it's very cool. It'll be launching um, soon. Uh, we can't say when uh, just yet, um, but look for more news on that in you know the coming weeks and months uh, on Marvel.com, and we'll bring you you know uh, news as soon as we have it. Um, and I'm very excited uh, for this. Uh, I have not had a chance to play the game yet, but hopefully I will uh, very soon. And uh, I've seen some of the gameplay. It looks great. It looks like a ton of fun. Um, and I don't know, me in particular, I just really love those types of strategy games, and this really tickles all of those funny bones for me. Uh, and last but not least, this week we had, uh, as I mentioned before, a ton of Blade anime news um, from a preview of the first episode to um, 
uh, podcasts with some of the stars, a Central Blade article looking at his history. Um, if all goes according to plan, uh, we will have a very cool article going up on uh, Friday uh, that you should check out. Uh, and I think it will be a lot of fun. It's a bit different from what we normally do uh, in sort of the lead-up to these series. And, yeah, and uh, check out the Blade series as well on uh, G4. Thank you, Strami. Um, some very exciting news from Hollywood, where you live. And, uh, I do, I do live here. Yes. So very cool stuff coming down the pike. We are going to wrap things up this week, as we always do, with your questions. Uh, as a reminder, the best way to reach us on Twitter, um, you can contact us directly. Of course, you can uh, address things to at Marvel at Agent underscore M at Ben J Morse at Strami, but you can also just hashtag anything you write this week in Marvel, all one word, and we will comb Twitter right before we start the show and leading up so we'll make sure we can get all your questions. So, <clears throat> clearing my throat, some of the questions we had this week. Regular listener RCS underscore T asks a question about live blogs. Any chance that you may try them at several times of the day? They happen while I am at work. Uh, well, RCS, uh, you're in luck because you've got the two guys who run the live blogs uh, under the auspices of James Viscardi, who is our marketing guru, who is basically the, the guy responsible for all the next big thing live blogs. They're his initiative. He does a great job with them. Um, as far as running several in a day, realistically, I don't see it happening. Um, it's very difficult to run one per day. Not impossible, but a lot of work goes into it. A lot of scheduling, uh, getting creators together at the same time, and then of course all the work we have to put into getting journalists on the line, getting fans there, running the chat room. So I don't really foresee multiple chats a day. It might, it might be, it might be something that happens on a special occasion. But the thing you can do, um, if you have them while you're at work, the nice thing about our live blogs is you can replay them anytime after they're completed. So even if you can't be there, which I know is the ideal, you know, be there asking questions, interacting, you can still see exactly what was said, uh, exactly what we reported, people's comments, polls, all sorts of stuff. Um, you just go to where the live blog was, the page where it took place, and just hit the replay button, and you can re-experience the whole thing. Um, actually, I think this question was if we tried... Um doing them at different times of the day, not necessarily having multiple in the day, but ah. we usually have them at, you know, like 3 o'clock Eastern time. Yes, very interesting read, Stromy. Maybe you're correct. Maybe I'm correct. Who knows? But I will answer that question as well, just in case. Um, we do move them around sometimes. Sometimes we have them in the morning. Sometimes we have them in the afternoon. But as Stromy said, a lot of times they are at 3, just because we kinda, we want to appeal to different time zones. Um Three in the afternoon is early enough that it's it's not too late for us to run it here on the East Coast, but <clears throat> it's also a nice time for the people on the West Coast to can still catch it, and people overseas are still awake, stuff like that. So we do try to accommodate everybody. Unfortunately, that's impossible. You know, some people do have to work, such as yourself, and we'll keep moving them around as best we can. But again, replay option always available. Uh, moving on. From at Yo Kid, I just read Carnage USA the other day. Great stuff. One question though: 
who the heck is hybrid? As I promised earlier in this episode, when we talked about Carnage USA, more hybrid to come. Strami, I know you've been dying to answer this one. Can you tell Wyo Kid who hybrid is? Uh, I am I'm not going to lie. I did not read the original. What? Series. When you and spoke about Carnage USA earlier, you seemed so amped on hybrid. I know, I know the basics of them, but I, I do not know enough to give Wyo Kid a thorough. Strami, this is a big letdown. All right, as always, I will step in for you. All right, here, here, Wyo Kid is is the lowdown on hybrid. Back in the nineties, symbiotes were all the rage. Uh, symbiotes, of course, being the alien space creatures worn by Venom, worn by Carnage. Uh, seen various other places. In one of Venom's earliest adventures, uh, he came across a group of several symbiotes. I believe there were four, maybe five. Um, and they were they were designed by a company basically to use as their own mercenaries. Uh, these guys had a short shelf life as villains. Uh, they were in the, the Spider-Man Separation Anxiety video game. Uh, so they were around for a little bit. But there was a later Venom adventure where he fought these symbiotes. They all abandoned their hosts, and they combined onto a new host. Uh, and he was pretty sure he was a police officer. He was a good guy. Um, he was kind of down on his luck. But basically, he had the power of four symbiotes, um, and he became hybrid. Hybrid, of course, being you know when you combine multiple things. So it was one guy with the power of four different symbiotes, he was kind of, his, his goal was, you know, Venom is seen as a villain. I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to show that these symbiotes can be a force for good. Pretty sure he was never seen again after that. Um, like a lot of great characters in the 90s, you know, creative teams were shifting. Things were going on. I know he's kind of a fan favorite. He has his own toy. Um, did, did he have his own limited series by Pierre Milligan and Derek Robertson? No, that was Toxin. That is a whole oh, different that symbiote. Toxin. That is a whole it different symbiote, Strami. You need to go back to Symbiote 101. Um, yeah, if someone yeah. asks this week who is Toxin, I'll answer it next week. But this week we're talking Hybrid. Hybrid uh, kind of faded into obscurity. Be mentioned occasionally in official Marvel handbooks, stuff like that. But in Carnage, as Strami described earlier, we saw that, well, Hybrid is no longer around, and they kind of alluded to possibly nefarious things going on. The government now has his symbiotes. They've given it to four different guys, and now we've got a new team of symbiote soldiers. So that is the gist of who Hybrid is. I'm sorry Strami let you down on that. Uh, I hope my answer was sufficient. Strami, do you have anything to say for yourself? Answering at Dr. Spidey's question. Yes, that was at Dr. Underscore Spidey is a question for you. Here's here's your chance at redemption. Yes, he does. When does the second uh, season of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes start? Uh, as we mentioned before, um, it will be coming back with the Marvel Universe programming block uh, this April. So you just have uh, about three short months to uh, wait for it. Very good, Strami. Good answer. Solid, detailed, um, and accurate. So, well played. Uh, we go... And, uh, yeah. Oh, I was, I was just going to read the next one, which is a was oh, go a light for it, flirt. go for it, Strami. You're you're on a roll. <sighs> was a life lesson you have learned personally from reading comics. Uh, this is from uh, at RCS underscore T. Uh, however, they add that with great power comes is not an answer. Um, so, 
Kang answer with great power comes responsibility. That is um, a cheap way out, Strami. You know that when he said, with great power comes dot, 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 he is obviously alluding to, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, you, you are a cad. I cannot, I cannot say how disappointed I am with you with these last few questions. You were doing such a great job on the podcast, and then you've just fallen apart in this last section. Um, and you did a great job in that last answer, too. So, do you, you want to try another answer? I mean, I'm trying to try and think of a life lesson I learned from right, a comic. I'll, I'll buy you some time by, by okay. giving my answer. I actually have two answers. Um, and they're actually both very serious life lessons I think I learned at a long, young age from Marvel Comics. Um, the first was in reading X-Men, um, which is about mutants and humans trying to live together, Charles Xavier's dream of mutant harmony. That honestly, in all seriousness, taught me a lot about tolerance, about the fact that just because people are different, uh, they might be really cool. Um, the idea that, you know, I loved X-Force when I was a kid. I was like, man, I'd love to be friends with X-Force. Why does everybody hate them? Oh, because they're different. Well, that's stupid. And, you know, that's carried me through life. Just because someone's different, they might be the coolest person you could you could be friends with. And you should never let that uh, stand in your way. Uh, the other lesson I learned was from New Warriors, my favorite book when I was a kid. And that was about, basically summed up was, the hard choice uh, is sometimes the right choice. Um, that was something that I think was typified in issue number 25 when Justice, um, then Marvel Boy, Vance Astrovic, uh, got convicted of basically he had accidentally killed his father with his powers. His father uh, had abused him, and he struck back, and um, he accidentally killed his father, and in the course of that, you know, was, was, was convicted of that and was offered the chance by his friends to escape that conviction, but stuck with it because it was the right thing to do. Um, again, it, you know, it wasn't the easy choice, but from that I learned that, you know, sometimes the hard choice is the right choice. Have you had enough time, Strami? Can you, uh, can you give an answer? Yes, you actually, uh, reminded me of it with your, uh, most recent answer because uh, I was a huge Thunderbolts fan uh, from the very first issue. Um, and, you know, for those who don't know, the Thunderbolts started out as uh, the old Masters of Evil led by Baron Zemo, who after Onslaught, when the Avengers disappeared, the Masters of Evil basically posed as the superheroes to gain, you know, the public's trust and everything so that they then could execute... Um, some large, nefarious, world-dominating plan. Um, eventually, over the course of the first year, um, many of the members, uh, including you know, two of my uh, all-time favorite Marvel characters, uh, Songbor- Songbird, who was originally Screaming Mimi, and Moonstone, who was originally... Um... Why am I blanking on her name, Ben? Well, that's because she she's always been Moonstone. She just she went by Meteorite for a few issues at the beginning. Oh, um, but she went. Oh back yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Quick. That's right. Yeah. Um, and Moonstone, you know, these characters started having second doubts about what they were doing and basically broke off from Zemo. Um, and uh, you know that basically taught me, you know, I I don't want to say necessarily this lesson of redemption, but this idea that um you know, taking 
the ability to take a good look uh, at yourself and and really examine, you know, what you think is right and why you're doing something and having the courage to, you know, uh, if you realize that something you're doing is, in fact, wrong or that you do, in fact, have issues with it, to sort of uh, stand up and break away from that pattern and and really you know change your life for the better and uh, uh, change things around and that's really never uh, too late to do anything like that. So, Strami, I think in your answer you have you have proven your own lesson that it is never too late to redeem yourself, uh, <laughs> even with your actions on this podcast. Very good answer. Um, from Dirty Lash at Dirty Lash, we have got Marvel DCU from Santa. Very cool. What series and arcs are a must-read? Um, this is a question we've actually answered a bunch of times, um, and you know, HM and I have some some standby questions, standby answers where we, we always say, you know, check out Marvels, check out the first hundred issues of Fantastic Four, check out Ultimate Spider-Man, some of the good evergreen stuff that'll really help you get into some really good comics. But Stormy, as a as a guest host on the show, what are what are some series and arcs on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited that you think would be a, a good place to start? Hmm. I mean, I would say uh, one of my all-time favorite classic Marvel, uh, not necessarily stories, but runs, has been uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne's X-Men run, uh, which really began, uh, they worked together for a few issues, but was sort of, tying up some loose ends really began with uh, Uncanny X-Men number 111 and ran until Uncanny X-Men number 143. Uh, it's got a bunch of great stories in it. It opens up with a 10-part story where basically the X-Men are lost in the Savage Land and then uh, spend about eight issues. Uh, they're, they're left in the Savage Land after this epic fight with Magneto and then spend the next eight issues uh basically just getting back to uh, try and get back to the Xavier School. Um, also, as the original uh, Proteus Saga, um, the Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, it's just incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, so in terms of classic comics, I always recommend that. Um, and in terms of newer stuff, uh, I highly recommend Mark Millar and Brian Hitch's Ultimates and Ultimates 2, um, which uh, began uh, around 2000, I believe. Um, really amazing stuff. It basically takes, you know, the idea of, uh, of uh, the superheroes and the superhero team and modernizes it and brings it into the 21st century. Um, and also, uh, I mentioned this before on the podcast, but Grant Morrison's New X-Men run from New X-Men number 114 through 154 is uh, an incredible run. It's another, you know, taking these characters and these ideas and bringing them into the 21st century and modernizing them. Um, and it really tells one complete story from issue 114 through 154 and it's incredible to see it uh, evolve and and change and add all these layers onto it um, so yeah those would be my answers excellent answers Strami um, from regular listener and also regular live blog attendee Epoch 252 it's, a, it's, it's less of a question more of a comment but I'm going to read it anyways because it's one I echo 
Uh, I also vote for the Generation X TV movie on DVD. My official VHS has been getting a little worn over the years. Yes, Epoch 252, I would like to see the Generation X TV movie on DVD, mostly because I have never seen it, which is crazy. Really? Yes, because I don't know why I never saw it. It aired when I was a kid, when I was a comics fan. I don't know why I would have missed a Generation X movie, but I really, uh, I'd love to see it, and there's no way for me to see it right now. I definitely, I definitely did catch it back when it was originally on, as Generation X was one of my uh, favorite series you know back that? in the day. And do you know that Finola Hughes as uh, Emma Frost, I believe? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, okay, actually I would. Was the villain. I I would I would really like to uh, re-see that. Hmm. So the request is out there. We would like to see that. All right, we're gonna wrap up with uh, one last question. Um, and a reminder again to you guys, if you want to ask us questions for next week, just use the hashtag this week in Marvel. Uh, we will, we will get to all your questions. Uh, our final question this week from, we've already heard from him twice, and he's a favorite of ours, uh, at RCS underscore T, who would win in a WWE battle royal between Strami and the Marvel Minimates? This is a tough one. Um, the mini-mates are inanimate. They can't move. They're also only, like, at best, half a foot tall. Um, but there are lots of them. Uh, Strami is very easily frightened. Um, and particularly of things that are, that are small and in large groups. So it's tough to say. I mean, if, it, if it's a battle royal where you have to get thrown over the top rope... Obviously, the mini-mates are incapable of throwing Strami over the top rope, so Strami could certainly throw them over the top rope. They're, they're very small. But if they frighten Strami enough, I could see him throwing himself over the top rope, so it's really a coin toss. What do you think, real, Strami? The real design factor in this is whether or not, and I'm uncertain, whether or not there is a shocker mini-mate. Because if there is not, they don't have a chance. But if there is a Shocker Maymate, I know that that Shocker Maymate would manage to rouse the rest of them up enough to take me and conquer me and win in the end. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't think of anywhere better to end than you talking about being conquered by a Shocker Maymate. So we're going to end on that note. Uh, thank you all very much for tuning in. Strami, thank you for filling in. Uh, you did a great job. Um, thank you for having me, sir. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, and, yeah, thank you all for listening to This Week in Marvel. Once again, please contact us at Marvel, at Ben J. Morse, at Agent underscore M, at Strami, or using the hashtag This Week in Marvel on Twitter. And this is Marvel, your universe.